We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. E. Today on the Resilient Schools podcast, I'm talking with Stephen Smith, who's the founder of uh, NoCD, and we're going to talk about OCD. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I learned about this over the last couple of years and saw some similarities to trauma, which I thought were really fascinating, but they were not the whole story. And so I thought it would be beneficial for you to learn about OCD, how it's different from trauma, how some things are similar, and get an idea about how you can help in your school if someone is struggling with trauma and, uh, sorry, not with trauma, how you can help if someone in your school is struggling with OCD. Uh, It can be very debilitating, it can be very challenging, but there is a way to fix it, there is a way to treat it, and it requires specialized treatment, and the regular kind of therapy that you might do doesn't actually help. It can actually harm. So I uh, hope you enjoy this interview with Stephen, and if you have uh, questions or, or comments, please reach out to me or reach out to uh, nocd.com or treatmyocd.com, and uh, they can certainly help you. But this is definitely something that uh, I think uh, more people should know about. It's probably going to affect a number of kids in your school at any given moment, whether they have it or their parents have it or a sibling has it. And so it's it's worthwhile. Um, I've also learned through learning about this that it can start when, um, when kids are babies and it can uh, go throughout their life. And so um, in the show notes today, I put a, a clip from uh, Howie Mandel talking about living with OCD on 2020. Uh, and that's a link to a YouTube uh, video about that. So um, definitely worthwhile to check that out and see what it is, especially after listening to this. And uh, thanks so much for listening to Resilient Schools, and I hope that this is helpful and would love to hear your thoughts and comments, and uh, please reach out if you think that it is. Thanks so much. Here's my interview with Stephen Smith. Stephen Smith. 
Welcome to the Resilient Schools podcast. Today, I'm excited to have on the show Stephen Smith, who is the founder of TreatMyOCD.com, or NoCD is what the app is called, if you uh, if you get interested and want to check it out. Uh, so uh, in college, uh, Stephen was a uh, award-winning quarterback, and everything was going well for him. And then uh, he started having... Uh, intrusive thoughts come in and start experiencing OCD. And within six months, he was homebound and wasn't able to do all the things that he loved to do before. It took a lot of time and money for him to get treatment. And so when he finally did, then he said, I've got to make this better for other people. So he created Treat My OCD and uh, wanted to help other people figure out how to manage their OCD. So, Stephen, welcome to Resilient Schools. Anything else you want to add to your bio that was admittedly weak, but, you know, no, it gave was us some fantastic. insight. It was fantastic. I'm humbled by the introduction, Josh. So thank you for having me on, on the podcast today. And we're so uh, glad to be here to help raise awareness for OCD and, and also to help people get to evidence-based treatment, especially kids. Yeah, well, that's great. And one of the things that um, I did not understand about OCD uh, before was I thought it was just that people were quirky and needed to have things organized, but it is so much more than that. Can you give us an idea of what OCD really is? Sure, sure. So OCD, um, and this is a you know a epiphany that I had probably you know three months ago. OCD is one of the only words in society which everyone recognizes and almost everyone seemingly misunderstands. Right. So it's very rare you have a term which is is known by so many people and also is misunderstood at the same time by so many people um the, the fact that that's a it's a condition it's a, it's a chronic condition a, a really severe condition and it's super misunderstood like that's t- to me is even more um rare and so i i say this phenomenon that's been going on in society has gone on for you know decades and it's led to you know most people those see not getting the right treatment and so i'll tell you what oc is actually like it's a condition where People have these recurring intrusive thoughts. Uh, they, they could be thoughts. It could be um, also images, urges, and they usually violate the person's core values and character. So people don't want to have the thoughts or the fears, but they, you know, they, because they cause tremendous amounts of distress and they're polar opposite from who they really are. And so to make the fears go away, people do these very specific actions. The actions are called compulsions. And in the short term, the actions alleviate distress, but in the long term, they actually um, cause the distress to occur um, in a much more severe way, and they also create the uh, you know the, um, the 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 cycles for the fears that ultimately make the person fe- you know have their their intrusive thoughts you know almost uh, throughout the day at, at every point. And so we've, um, as a society, in my opinion, have misunderstood OCD to be just like the compulsive behavior, right? People flicking the lights on and off or, you know, asking specific questions, right? People don't actually understand that the fear is driven by these obsessions or the intrusive thoughts, images, and urges. And the content of those intrusive thoughts, images, and urges could be violent, could be sexual, religious, relationship-based, existential, and they're crippling. It's absolutely crippling. And I can tell you that from firsthand experience. And so, you know, if if we could simply raise awareness for, you know, what OC is actually like, what will happen is, um, people will, you know, be able to get identified much earlier on in their journey because we'll ask the right questions. We'll understand if someone's in distress or doing something that appears to be off. Um, you know, we can ask really why, and and we can ask that in a in a really, a really comforting way. 
And I think that that's really important. One of the things that we try to do with this podcast is give people tools and strategies for making their schools better for the kids that are, are that are actually there. And a lot of our work has focused on trauma. And uh, when I first saw the behaviors associated with OCD, I thought that they were um, trauma-based and that they were from somebody having trauma. However, I knew the kid who was experiencing that and knew that there wasn't any major trauma in the child's life. And so I started questioning what else could it be? And that led me down thinking that maybe there was some autism spectrum disorder or maybe some ADHD because these things looked like um, what one of those other things could be. And I was trying to figure it out. And when when I finally understood what OCD was, I started asking better questions. Can you help us uh, understand what some of those questions are that we could ask to see what is what's causing um, or what's causing those behaviors so that we could understand that it's not trauma based? Sure. So, um, so I'm not a clinician by training. I'm a person who has OCD. So I can explain to you what what folks on our clinical team have said to me. Um, and I can also kind of explain from firsthand experience um, the questions that I would ask just as a person. But I, I'm not a clinician by training. So I'm, I would I want to highlight that first. The questions, though, that one should ask them with OCD really are about, you know, what is causing you to to um, do those specific actions if the actions are visible or really at the end of the day, you know, do you have, you know, unwanted thoughts that feel kind of sticky in your head and do the thoughts, you know, feel um, real despite, you know, they're somewhat illogical because what happens with OCD is people, and again, for a child, the questions differ. That's how you probably ask the question for, to an adult. But, you know, um, I'd say that the challenge is people don't realize that the sticky thoughts oftentimes are the first symptom they experience, right? Thoughts that they typically would be able to let transition from their head, they can't. And and unfortunately, those thoughts are oftentimes not just standard, strange thoughts. They're thoughts that personally attack the person's you know core values or character. For example, um, a child who has OCD may fear, what if my family member gets harmed? Right. And they may do specific actions just to prevent something bad from happening to their family member. Right. And so the question is, well, why are you doing that action? Or why do you keep asking me, you know, if, if, um, if I'm okay? And it's simply to basically put out the, the fear that something bad's going to happen. Right. And that fear plays over and over and over again in the childhood. So it's just, at, it's just really trying to ask the question to understand what's driving the behavior because that can be. The, the biggest way to, or the fastest way to identify if it's OCD or not. And, it, and the way you can actually, I mean, I should say OCD symptoms or not. The, the best way to actually identify if someone's suffering with OCD is to do a comprehensive diagnostic assessment. So a licensed therapist can provide that. They can take them through different types of evidence-based scales to determine if their symptoms meet the clinical diagnostic criteria for the condition. And that's, that's what I would recommend if, if people um, feel that there might be some OCD behaviors behind um, their child's condition. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you mentioned that you're not a clinician. And one of the things that I'm very adamant about is that teachers do not feel that they need to be clinicians either. And this is really important because so much of the uh, training for teachers asks them to put more on their plate. And what we want to do here is give teachers ideas, skills, and strategies that they can do to start referring kids to the right places. So if you and, and the reason why I, I harp on this so much is that if you refer someone to a clinician and 
don't give the background of what's going on and just say this kid's struggling, they could go down a path that is actually going to be more difficult for that student, especially if they have OCD, as I personally learned. And that's a very challenging thing because you can actually uh, make it worse by by allowing the symptoms to or, or not the symptoms by allowing the compulsions to continue when the way to treat it is actually to expose them to the things that they're afraid of and help them see that their brain is lying to them. And so right. that I think is a really important basis. And we'll get into the treatment part here in a second, but I want to talk a little bit more about why it's important for us to talk about this because OCD does affect a lot of people. Can you talk about the rate of prevalence that exists with OCD and, and why it's so important for us to pay attention? Sure. And so in the great point you bring up here, Jethro, I think particularly it comes down to um, being, you know, uh, the, the most alert person in the room and understanding what's going on with folks. And that's, that's, that's where you can actually save someone's life. Cause as you, as you, as you pointed out, um, you know, generalized therapy for OCD isn't just ineffective. It can actually be harmful if, 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 and so it's, it's um, teachers play a very large role in, in helping people get to the right evidence-based treatment. Um, to your question though about prevalence, one in 40 people suffer with OCD at some point in their life, right? So that's the lifetime prevalence. It's roughly two and a half percent of the overall population, um, which is, you know, it's, it's a very prevalent serious mental illness, relatively speaking. Um, people that are 10 times more likely to die by suicide when left untreated. And they're also, um, you know, uh, they're, they're likely to become disabled if they don't get the right treatment early on in their journey. And that's, that's also shown from the World Health Organization. So w- when it comes to children, though, the prevalence rate is, if I believe, one in 100 kids at some point um, in, a, in a given time frame. Um, I think it's about a year suffer with OCD. So in a, at any given point, it's one in a hundred children suffer with it. And that's, I'd say probably a stat that might even increase as time progresses and, and, and as OCD awareness becomes um, just better across society, because you're going to start to have more people come forward who have the condition, more children come forward who, who may meet the diagnostic criteria for it. And that's going to allow, um, I think, schools to then implement the, the treatment interventions needed to, to best serve their there are kids who have OCD. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder if the pandemic and the um, what used to be called a fa- false positive and, and is now called asymptomatic spread could have contributed to some of these feelings that somebody could get someone sick by not being sick themselves. And mm-hmm. that uh, as, as, as our family was learning about it through the pandemic, I saw a lot of these things that made me start feeling like maybe there's you know, something that I did that could, could have caused someone to get hurt. And it, it wasn't OCD, but I saw the relationship to that and wondered if maybe that was uh, something that has maybe increased this in kids. Do you have any data or insight on that? So, you know, we know that with any stressful situation, oftentimes increases um, OCD symptoms. So OCD is known from this research to be caused by both genetic and environmental factors. So someone who may have OCD but may not be suffering at a given point, they may start to suffer at a given point given some environmental factors, you know, and COVID was an environmental factor that did cause people to feel more stress. And therefore, you know, many folks start to experience OCD symptoms in throughout the pandemic. Um, And so it's, you know, with that being said, there's been a rush of access of treatment for all different types of treatments for mental health 
since COVID. Um, and we know that if people with OCD don't get the right treatment, it's not just ineffective, it's actually harmful. So in certain cases, you know, COVID may have heightened symptoms because it also pushed the industry to deliver more and more treatment that may not be evidence-based for OCD. It actually put children at risk in many ways. And so what we're trying to do is to solve that problem by spreading awareness, um, especially through schools, knowing the fact that if, if folks can understand just really what OCD is like, if it's so misunderstood in society, we'll be able then to reach children earlier on in their journey and potentially help them before the condition spirals out of control and affects them later on. Because it's a, it's a incredibly important time, right? Getting a child educated um, in, in elementary, middle school, and even high school, we wanna make sure that they can utilize that time to develop in, a, in the best way possible. Yeah, so there are certain um, certain ailments like Down syndrome, for example, where somebody is born with it and that's gonna be their life and how it impacts them is going to be different. But the fact that OCD can be caused by genetic factors and environmental factors makes it that much more challenging to to know if it's happening. And they the the um, the the symptoms can be hidden for some time and mask as something else or look like something else or you know they may do things in secret or private to to not show anybody that they're 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 doing those compulsions. But the obsessions could be there for a long time before they ever start showing something outwardly and then you know it can kind of spiral out of control as it were and so one of the things that i think is really fascinating here is i i heard either from uh one of your therapists or read it on the website or something that it can take several years for ocd to actually be diagnosed um that it doesn't always like you start feeling it and then you're like oh, i need to go get checked out you you hide those things you don't share them and then it could take several years. Is that what you've seen as well? That is exactly what we've seen. So on average, it takes 14 to 17 years. For 14 to 17 years? 14 to 17 years oh for someone gosh. with OCD to get to evidence-based treatment. And what's challenging is despite this, you know, it, it's one of the most manageable serious mental illnesses given that ERP is so effective. So because ERP is so effective, and I've personally experienced the effectiveness of it, I know uh, many others have as well. If someone simply was just identified earlier on in the journey and managed with ERP, they could likely, you know, manage this condition in a three-month window and be back on their feet without having to really experience any uh, traumatic life events because of it. And the the so that's that's what's ultimately going to solve this problem is if we had better awareness for what else is actually like, people, you know, would feel comfortable actually disclosing what they're going through because they know it, it may not be them it may be this condition teachers and other folks in the community might be more comfortable asking specific questions to see what they're experiencing those to knowing that if if they have symptoms they can get referred to a licensed therapist um, or or psychiatrist that specializes in running diagnostic assessments and can give them an actual read as to what's going on so it's it's a problem that actually can be solved despite the kind of shocking, um, you know, stats that are, that come along with the population of, of people with OCD. So 14, 17 years is the average today, unfortunately, but, you know, we think that time can be reduced to 14 to 17 hours if we simply just had the right, you know, awareness campaigns going on. Yeah. And, and once you understand what it is and how to treat it, then it becomes 
much less daunting and much less scary, which I think is incredibly valuable. So you you mentioned ERP, and let's go back to that. ERP stands for Exposure Response Prevention. Tell us what that is and why that's so effective in treating OCD. Sure. So to your point, ERP stands for Exposure and Response Prevention. And it's a treatment that actually pokes at the reason for why OCD is so severe in the first place. So as mentioned before, OCD is a condition where people have these recurring intrusive thoughts, images, and urges. They oftentimes violate the person's core values and character. They um, they create tremendous amounts of distress. So people, and naturally, what they want to do is they want to make those fears stop so they can stop their distress. That's the logical reaction. Well, that logical reaction ultimately is a compulsive behavior, right? So people trying to stop the thoughts ultimately makes the thoughts worse and worse over time, or the images and urges worse and worse over time, which leads to the stress you know, increasing over time. So what ERP does is ERP says instead of doing those compulsive behaviors, you know, a therapist, especially trained in ERP, is going to teach that patient to learn how to respond to their fear in a way where they don't do the compulsive behavior. They instead accept uncertainty. So it's teaching someone how to respond to their OCD fears in such a way where they, they no longer bother them as much over time. It literally rewires the person's brain. So an example would be if a mother has postpartum OCD. She may fear, what if I accidentally hurt my children? And so she, what she may do, do as a response is be so afraid of the fear. She may avoid her children. Well, an ERP therapist may say, well, instead, I actually want you to hold your child. And I want you to accept the uncertainty that you may or may not hurt your child, but you'll live with that uncertainty and you'll help your child anyways. And over time, what ends up happening is the mother realizes, wow, you know, this fear is preposterous, right? It's actually not me. It's just, and in, 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 no matter if it happens or not, you know, the mother still takes care of her children and then eventually the stress decreases. Eventually, you know, the mother can have some clarity in how she functions throughout the day. So that's an example of OCD. Um, in kids, you may have a scenario where someone um, is afraid that if they don't, if they don't brush their teeth for, for an hour straight, their younger brother will have a serious accident, right? So what the, what the child will do is they'll brush their, you know, hit their teeth for an hour straight. And then eventually um, we'll be in a scenario where that's the only action that can make the fear stop. So the, the certainty that, that the child has temporarily will, will be removed um, over time. And eventually the fear will start happening more and more um, throughout that child's life. If the child is dead, says, well, I'm just going to have this fear. I'm not going to brush my teeth. I'm going to accept the uncertainty something could happen to my, my brother or sister. You know, at that point, the child is learning that, you know, it's okay to accept uncertainty and the child's brain will act through wire and they'll be able to then not have the same amount of stress. So ERP is, it just teaches the, person, the, the patient again, how to respond to their OCD fear in such a way where they're not doing the compulsive behaviors. They're learning instead how to accept uncertainty. And then over time, they eventually um, regain their life. And that's why ERP is is is, um, is is known as the gold standard treatment intervention for the OCD population. Yeah, and so what it does is it takes that belief or fear that they have and instead of, instead of giving into the fear and trying to fix it, it just says, yeah, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, and and that's okay. And like that is... That is such a good thing for all of us to know about all of our fears <laughs> that it's it's it really makes a lot of sense why that helps. Now, talk about the harm that can happen when treating with general therapy, uh, because that's a real issue, too. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, you make a great point about the importance of accepting uncertainty. OCD is the doubting disorder. So, you know, people oftentimes doubt 
just very specific characteristics of themselves or or others and and um and it's it's really focused around as a result the acceptance of uncertainty so it's what a, no other therapist will do that's not specially trained in OCT and ERP especially if a person isn't diagnosed is they'll offer um, talk therapy or they'll offer some type of thought stopping therapy like generic CBT and what happens in that situation is the the person I'll use the example of the child who fears something bad is going to happen to um, you know, um, their, their sibling, right? The child may have a fear. What if I, my sibling gets hurt? The generic talk therapist or the, um, the CBT therapist may say, well, look, let's analyze that thought and let's understand if that's actually valid or not. Well, OCD manifests in ways that are completely illogical, right? And so, and people who have OCD know that they know that it doesn't make sense, but they're, and that's why they spend so much time trying to figure out why they're having the fear they're trying to analyze their thought because they can then if they can figure out the reason they'll stop happening and they'll, therefore they can go on and live their life without distress but there's no answer right and so in this case a therapist will either a reassure the person or the child that they're you know their their, their sibling is totally fine and that reassurance is a compulsive behavior or b they'll, they'll you know try to challenge the person's fears and um, and try to get them to analyze their thoughts more, which ultimately is a compulsive behavior as well. So what usually happens is when misdiagnosed um, therapists that don't have specialty training from from what we've seen will offer you know treatment and interventions that are actually compulsive behaviors. It'll cause that condition to worsen to the point where usually what happens, unfortunately, is the person with OCD then develops a comorbidities, so they'll become depressed. They could develop an eating disorder. They could develop a substance use disorder. Or B, you know, they'll then get moved to a higher form of care and they'll spend time away from school. They'll be in intensive treatment, potentially residential treatment. And it's really difficult then to bounce back from that. So mm -hmm. it's 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 um it's critical for for schools, knowing the prevalence of OCD, to have very strong OCD identification programs because it could it could actually save someone's life, right? They could save them from not just years of suffering, but also it could save them from you know, having to lose out on just incredibly important social moments, right? When you go through school, it can help save them on learning key things about themselves, right? And, and others. And so I've, um, you know, it's, it, it's probably one of the most important programs can need to be added to any school mental health program. Yeah. And, and most people don't really understand it. And that's why I thought it was so important to talk with you. So the other thing about that, the other kinds of therapy is that they, they actually lead to more of the compulsive um, disorder part of this. But the other thing is that if you're going into a therapist and talking about these things, um, when when they're calm and understand what's going on, those with OCD know that their thoughts are illogical and that their fears are wrong, and yet they still can't help but do the compulsions to combat them because, it, and that's part of the challenge. But then also if the... Um, if they're not in the environment where they are having the challenges, um, then it's even more difficult because they don't have those fears in the therapist's office, for example. And which is why I think what you're doing with, with treatment OCD is so powerful because it's, it's virtual calls that can happen in the child's home or in the, um, in the person's home where some of those things may be more prevalent and give them real experiences to be able to deal with those fears that are right there in front of them, where when they're away from them, they can, they can be, they can know they're totally illogical, 
but then it's hard to go back and do that. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect? Sure. So, you know, OCD is a chronic condition, right? So it, it manifests in, in different times throughout the day. It manifests in ways that can morph, right? So for example, someone can have one fear, then six weeks later, it transitions to a different fear. And so with that, there needs to be a treatment that is not only effective ERP, but it has to be delivered in a way that's also flexible to someone's life, right? Because you may be one week triggered at school. Well, you know, that's great. But then the next week you may be triggered at a different location, given your fear is morphed. Or you you may have, um, you know, I'd say experiences with OC that are more severe between your therapy appointments versus actually in session. So there's a variety of, of ways that OC manifests. And so we, we have to have a model that's delivered in a, um, a way that fits how OC um, is experienced by people. So what we did at NoCD is we made our treatment 100% virtual. So people do live face-to-face -face sessions with licensed therapists from our network who all specialize in OC and ERP. We actually train all of our therapists in, in, before they actually see any of our members in addition to their licensure. So think about it as like a, a fellowship program, but it's one for, for therapy. We call it NoCD University. Um, in addition to that, we supervise or actively monitor our therapists every week just to ensure that we can support them to deliver the best possible outcomes to our members. We call our the people we serve members just because it's it's a hybrid between a you know patient client. We wanted to create a term that reflected our our, our team's um, uh, value of our communities. We have a mm -hmm. community of people across the world. And so, you know, between sessions though, when someone's not with their clinician, what do they do, right? They are, you know, going to school, they have to go to sports practices, they go to piano or other instruments, there's a variety of different things that people do. And so we, um, we want to make sure that we can be with them in that moment. And so we, we create a model where people can between sessions message their therapist asynchronously, parents can also do that for their kids. Um, in addition, people can access different peer communities as well as self help tools to help them do treatment homework, and, um, and get support when needed. And so it's a model that is, is we consider 24 seven to fit a 24 seven chronic condition like OCD. And, you know, we wanted to make it virtual for another reason, which is to your point, it, with doing ERP in a virtual setting, you can actually go to where someone is triggered the most. So if I'm, for example, a, a, um, a therapist, which I'm not, but if I'm, if I'm one of our therapists, I could see one of our members in an office setting and in a net setting, I couldn't actually, I won't be able to go into this grocery store or to the school where someone's actually experiencing their OCD symptoms in the most severe way. But with virtual therapy, the therapist can go with them or the, with, with their members to the exact locations, right? So if I have um, five members and I'm an OCD therapist, I could go in a you know, several hour window to each location where each person actually experiences their condition. Whereas in a brick and mortar setting, you can't do that because there's a travel um, component to it. There's also... It's, it's hard to replicate some of the experiences that people have. And so you're by immersing into the real world in a more, in a more uh, granular way, I think people will be able to get, but we've actually shown this clinically. There's, there's better responses to treatment. People get better in a faster amount of time and um, there's better adherence to the standard. Yeah. And like you can, you can put that, put your headphones in, put your phone in your pocket and be standing in the grocery store uh, really struggling and nobody in the world will know that you're in a therapy session at the moment. Right. That's, that's the amazing thing about it is that you can, you can get the support that you need where you need it and when you need it, but not be, um, you know, like if you go to the store with a the therapist and the therapist is there like coaching you up, 
that's going to be awkward and make it more difficult for people to do it. But if they're in your headphones, they can be coaching you through living with that uncertainty and being okay with it while you're standing in the grocery aisle. And I think that that kind of uh, access is just really powerful, especially for this kind of disorder. Yeah, I'll give you a personal example of that. So I, I, I have OCD as mentioned, and um, about six months ago, my OCD started to you know become more severe. I'm not sure why. It just kind of happens. It's a chronic condition, and the fear morphed to uh, you know fear that was thrown around choking. So I was, for some mm-hmm. reason was was eating food, and I like one day just was not able to chew and swallow my food. And I was getting really nervous, like I can't eat. What's going on here? And so you know went. We rolled back into no city therapy, saw my therapist. We literally went to um, a Texas roadhouse because I had a fear of chewing steak in particular because mm-hmm. it was harder to chew. And I was in my session at a Texas roadhouse. I'm, I'm living in the San Antonio area and um, was doing my session at Texas roadhouse. My headphones were in, my camera was up. I was by myself in, in chewing the steak. And, you know, and that was my exposure and I'm like in the exact environment where I actually have my fears. And that was to me, like one of the reasons why I think that fear was managed in a relatively quick way. I could eat and whatever I want anymore. So it's, 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 uh, you know, it's been well managed, but I just, that's an example, a personal example for how I, how this is different. Whereas in a brick and mortar setting, you know, it's harder to replicate, you know, that exact scenario. Yeah. So um, this has been really good information. Is there anything else that we should have talked about that we didn't yet? We, we are looking for ways to work with schools, no OCD in particular, so we can help raise awareness for OCD. We have um, partnerships with Howie Mandel, so who is looking to raise awareness with us. Um, he's, he's been incredible this year in doing that. Um, others, um, others in the industry too are looking to raise awareness. We're hoping to ensure that every single teacher, um, mental health counselor at a school could recognize and understand OCD, knowing it's so misunderstood. And if we can do that, then we know we'll be able to help so many people, you know, live a really happy and healthy life who, who would typically go to see a therapist that would make them worse. And we're trying to prevent that, right? And we're trying to reduce the time from 14 to 17 years to 14 to 17 seconds. And uh, in terms of getting identified with with having OCD symptoms, so I'm, I'm I'm raising that because you know we'd love to find ways to collaborate with different schools. If anyone's interested in collaborating, we'd love to sync up one on one and find ways to work together. Knowing it takes a village to bring meaningful change, and um, yeah, I mean that's just I think one of the final points I like to raise because you know we want to make sure we have every every child taken care of early on in their journey. Yeah, I agree. And having having seen how it works and how it can help right away. It's, it's definitely powerful. So, uh, no CD, uh, is the name of your company. Treatmyocd.com uh, is, is a website you can go to. I think you can go to nocd.com also, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So exactly. Yep. Well, uh, Steven, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for your time and for being part of the Brazilian schools podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you. You said this up, Jethro. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. 
If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.